What's up, fellas? We had a blast on this episode talking offensive line, uh, which is why we got into this whole thing in the first place. Um, you want to learn more about offensive line or offensive football in general, head to runthepower.com. If you specifically want to learn more about offensive line, uh, we've got our O-line hot summit coming up uh, June 24th through 30th. We've got over 18 of the top high school and college offensive line coaches across the country putting on live presentations three a day uh, during those seven days. Again, those are free. If you watch them live, go sign up at runthepower.com so you can watch that live or you can order the all-access pass. You can have access to those presentations uh, for a whole lifetime. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by our newest sponsor, Vices. Vices football helmets are different than other helmets on the market. Their design reduces impact forces by yielding in a collision, similar to a car bumper. A concept so unique that the helmet was named one of Time Magazine's top 25 inventions of 2017. The Zero One is the top helmet at every level of football. Nearly every NFL team has starters in the Zero One, including both the Super Bowl MVP and the overall league MVP last season. Over 140 college teams, 1,500 high school programs, and hundreds of middle school and youth teams have made the switch to the Vice Zero One and the Zero One Youth Helmets. Protect your athletes with the top performing helmets in the game. For more information about Vice's technology or to request a team price, team pricing or financing options, visit vices.com, which is V-I-C-I-S.com on the web. Vices, protect the athlete and elevate the game. This episode is also brought to you by Guardian Caps. Both of our programs, Broken Arrow and Ankeny High School, invested in Guardian Caps this year, and we feel they're helping our guys. Uh, they are soft-shell helmet covers that reduce impact during practice and are used by over 100 colleges and 1,000 high schools. Texas, Clemson, Oklahoma are just a few of the colleges using them. Check out our show notes to see what Coach Lincoln Riley thinks about them at OU and to get some pricing. Uh, they're way more affordable probably than you guys would even think. Uh, again, that's Guardian Caps, guardiancaps.com. This episode is also brought to you by GoRoute. GoRoute brings practice efficiency into the 21st century with on-field digital risk coaches. Trusted at practice by more than 350 high schools and 30-plus FBS and FCS teams, GoRoute allows coaches to instantly send out cards, scout cards, and installs to players so they can stay up-tempo all practice without the need for binders or managing multiple huddles. Compatible with all major play drawing systems and hand drawing cards, GoRoute teams routinely double or triple their practice reps daily. If you value practice time and want the best preparation, then you need to go no scout cards with GoRoute. Learn more at GoRoute.com. You can email sales at GoRoute.com or call 866-777-1448. Make sure that you mention to them that Run the power sent you guys, and they will give you hook you up with some unbelievable discounts. So again, that's GoRoute.com. On this episode of RTP, we talk with Nate Leonard. Coach Leonard is the OC at Clear Lake High School in Houston, Texas. Listen as we talk with Coach Leonard about his offensive line playing days at UTSA, his philosophy on playing nasty and physical, and his coaching journey through high school, Duke University, and back to Texas. You can follow Coach Leonard on Twitter at CoachNastyTX. Hope you guys enjoy. Yeah, I grew up in a football-dominated family, really. My father was an offensive tackle at TCU in the late 70s. He had grown up in Temple, Texas, under coach Bob McQueen, which is a well-known name in, uh, in the state of Texas, legendary coach in that area, won some state championships at Temple. Uh, so, you know, from birth, I, I didn't really have a choice. Uh, grew up in a, a nice area north of Dallas. Um, like we had mentioned earlier, McKinney, Texas. Uh, grew up in a good football scene there. And anything that you saw pretty much on Friday Night Lights was true in my household, at least. Uh, so kind of grew up you know, worshiping the sport in a state that, that obviously worships the sport. Um, you know, played played center pretty much growing up all the way through, uh, was a tried and true center, um, offensive lineman for life pretty much. Uh, got to McKinney High School and, and filled in my role at center, started uh, varsity as a sophomore and, and continued that obviously through my senior year. Didn't really have a whole lot of nibbles. Um, I was pretty short when it came to when it came to measuring tape, 
Um, and that obviously held true throughout my recruiting process is narrowing down some options. Um, I remember at one spring practice, we had Larry Coker come to one of our practices and I knew that he had won a national championship at Miami. Uh, wasn't too aware of the fact that he was going to start up a football program at the University of Texas in San Antonio, but was excited. He was at practice, did some research on uh, UTSA and it starting up a football program. My head coach in high school, Bobby Reyes, ta talked to me about uh, my interest in that, and maybe that's my way to get into the Division One door. And I went to the football camp, very first football camp in UTSA history for seniors. And there were about 400, 500 seniors there just trying to get the same opportunity I was. I had not prepaid, pre-registered at all. And I waited in line outside the Alamo Dome in downtown San Antonio for three and a half to four hours. That's no exaggeration. Um, obviously, it was their first camp as well. So they had one little table set up with sign-in and registration. I mean, it was unreal. Hadn't seen anything like it in my life. Almost texted my dad to come pick you know come pick me up let's enjoy the city um but stuck with it got to the very front of the line finally they had started the camp already so i got like no warm-up time in or anything just cold ran the 40 <laughs> cold did the pro shot i mean it's unreal uh, but it was cool to look around and know that we were camping in the alamo dome and obviously they had sold that pretty hard as far as this is where we're going to play and three teams play in the alamo dome the cowboys the texans and the roadrunners you know they sold that really hard which, which worked on me, of course. I wanted to start up some and be a part of history uh, for that university. And I got offered a week later um, from, from the university, from Coach Coker himself. I committed the day of my offer. I mean, I just pretty much knew that that's exactly where I needed to be. I really enjoyed the camping experience. Loved San Antonio when we drove around after the camp. I uh, knew that I probably wasn't going to get any more Division I offers. You know, it's funny when I look back now as a, as a Division One football coach and I evaluate myself in high school. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a D three player. I mean, I, I was, I was slow footed. You know, not not very strong with my hips through contact. I mean, all those things. I got lucky. You know, I got lucky. Some things fell my way, um, but got that opportunity to start that program up. And and obviously, I, I kind of detailed that journey a little bit in in college, riding for a few um outlets the Huffington Post wanted me to write for them I detailed like a 14 15 week blog for them throughout our first division one season and the the wow. school ended up picking it up and then Sports Illustrated had me write for them I had a I had a, a USA Today um author kind of follow me around camp and a journalist follow me around camp and uh and, and campus and classes and so celebrity alignment no, man, I tell you, it's just because it's just because I, I wore bow ties. I mean, that, that that took off, bro. Like bow ties in San Antonio was something else. People loved it. I, I can't explain it, but I kind of rode the coattails of it um, and ended up, yeah, becoming the media person for UTSA. I guess I didn't mess up any words or say anything too out of line in my interviews. So they just kept having me come back. But, uh, you know, I had a good career there, man. I mean, it's 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 amazing to look back and never missed a start. Um, I actually started out at left guard, never played left guard in my life. Started out second team left guard um, in camp, very first camp ever. I was like, man, I've never gotten into a left-handed stance before in my life. Um, but, you know, when you're in college and you're trying to make it, you're going to do whatever is asked That's of right. you. You know, you don't play a particular position. You play offensive line. That's right. um, you know, if they wanted me to, I'd have run routes and I'd have covered wide receivers if they asked me to. Um, but, uh, you know, first first day of practice, uh, left guard wasn't going too well, man. I was trying to pull, and uh, it looked bad. You know, it was just bad. You know, I could be honest about it. It looked bad. I've never gotten a left-handed stance before in my life. Um, and then I, I went into, like, full-body cramp my first day of practice. So it was just a bad showing all around. Um, <laughs> the O-line coach came up to me afterwards and was like, you know, Leonard, hell, we can't get a snap on the first team. You know, have you ever snapped the ball before in your life? And I said, Coach, I was an all-state center in high school. I think I can, I think I can get it back there. <laughs> and I was like, I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe I was on scholarship. You know, I they didn't even know I played center, but um, I literally snuck my way into Division One football. Um, and awesome. I got up there and and started snapping with the twos. And then at the end of the second day of my career at UTSA, I was the one center and never wow. let it go. And you know, it was just crazy. You know, and. I got a great story about how I was offered too. I know I kind of buzzed through it, but I mean, I think some people ought to hear this stuff, man. So <laughs> I, 
I, I met Coach Coker after the camp because when we were going through the camp, the very first senior showcase camp in UTSA history, I was working with a volunteer coach at the time by the name of Polo Gutierrez, who actually ended up becoming a full-time running backs coach with us at UTSA. But he was running the offensive line station at the camp because he was a former offensive lineman at uh, New Mexico State. I think he played O-line and D-line, if I'm not mistaken. And so, I mean, they didn't have – they had four full-time coaches at the time of this camp. The, off, the offensive line coach that I played for wasn't hired at the time of this camp. So it was, it was an unreal deal. And so we had over 200 offensive linemen in the dome working the same drills. So it was like a, a bag drill where you got like 10 bags and you're doing footwork drills, 200, 200 people deep. <laughs> and no, no exaggeration. So it's like the coach, Coach Gutierrez said, each bag is a job interview. If you touch the bag, you're going to go to the back of the line. And if you go to the back of the line, there's 200 people here. You're probably not going to get back up again. He's like, if, if you don't touch a bag, you know, you go like 15 people back and you keep going until you touch a bag pretty much was kind of the gist of, of the drill. So I was like, okay. So I ended up going through and I didn't touch a bag. So I went 15 people back and I went through again and I didn't touch a bag and I went 15 people back. So I got like a hundred reps of this thing. And he pulls me off to the side. It was the very first thing we did. Obviously I ran in there cold 40, cold pro shuttle, no time to warm up, you know, barely laced up my shoes, all that stuff. And he goes, he just kind of grabs me by the shirt. And he's like, after this camp, you're going to meet coach Coker. And I was like, Oh wow. All right. That's, that's awesome. So <laughs> after the camp ends, I go find coach Gutierrez and he pulls me to the side and I meet coach Coker and coach Coker, you know, he extended his fist as far as like, you know, dat me up type of deal. And on that hand was the national championship Miami ring, which at that point in time, I would have committed right there. Had he offered, um, <laughs> never seen one in my life. Haven't seen one since. And, um, he goes, you know, you did some great things. Coach Gutierrez tells me a lot about you and how you went through the bags. And, you know, you did a lot of good things in one-on-ones, which unbeknownst to anybody on that staff, I lost every one of my one-on-one reps. I mean, like I, I had a terrible day aside from the bag drills. So like I literally snuck into division one football. Um, he goes, you're going to call me this week. You're going to call me. And he gave me a number. And he's like, you're going to call me this week. And next weekend, you're going to come up here and tour the campus on an unofficial visit. I said, great. My dad and I, you know, we tour the campus just on our own. We go to the bookstore on our own, just like a normal camp experience. So Monday rolls around. I call the number that I was given. Nobody answers. (laughs) Tuesday rolls around. I call the number I was given. Nobody answers. Wednesday, the same thing. Thursday, the same thing. Friday, the same thing. And I'm on the toilet. Okay, I'm on the commode and I'm like, well, senior workouts for my high school started the that following Monday. So it was like, if it's not this weekend, it's never going to happen. So I'm on the toilet and I call the number and somebody answers. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Hello. You know, and they're like, hello, can we help you? And I was like, uh, I certainly hope so. My name's Nate Leonard. I was told to call this number. Coach Coker wanted me to call this number. And, you know, I'm going to come visit the campus. And they said, who are you? And I was like, oh, no. Like, what happened? The bag drills went so well. And um, anyway, I was like, I guess they saw film of the one-on-one reps. Um, And so they go, well, yeah. I mean, if you want to come up here on your own dime, like, yeah, we'll we'll take you around campus and, you know, just all you got to do is come in the office. And I was like, yeah, I'll be there. I'll be there tomorrow. I'm coming with my dad. I'll be there. So we make the drive from Dallas to San Antonio and we walk up to a mobile trailer on campus, like a trailer. And it says on the front with like, just a, like a sign that you, you know, you get made and you tie up on a fence or something. It says UTSA football office. (laughs) I was like, wow. All right. So I walk in there, knock on the door and the receptionist is there. And I say, my name is Nate Leonard. I'm here for a tour. And believe it or not, here pops out Larry Coker himself and starts talking to me and like, yeah, I remember you from camp. I'm so glad you made it back up. And, you know, 
let me have your highlight tape. At the time, highlight was all done through DVDs. And yeah. guys, this is 2000, this is 2009. Yeah. Um, this is 10 years ago. Highlights all done through DVD. So he's like, hand me your highlight tape, which I had, you know, carrying around a DVD with me. And I'm like, that's fine. Here you go, coach. You know, and he goes, um, one of my assistant coaches is going to take you on a tour and then you're going to come back and we're going to talk. And I was like, great. So I go out on the tour and I'm loving it. We come back and I sit down at coach Coker's desk and which is again in a mobile trailer. And it's just <laughs> a section of the trailer divided by like little cubicle dividers that are temporary. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. So I sit down and he goes, Nate, I got to tell you something. And I said, okay, what's that? He said, your highlight tape doesn't work. I put it in the DVD player. It played two plays and then it stopped. And I was so frustrated. You know, I was like, man, I worked so hard on that DVD and burning it. And And I was, all those things were going through my head. And he said, but I don't need to see any further. I'm offering you a full ride scholarship to UTSA. And I was floored. I mean, I was floored because I was one of those guys that was coming in under the radar on the offensive line. I'd camped at big 12 schools. I'd camped at a few other schools and, you know, no one was nibbling or anything like that. So he offered me a scholarship. I kicked my dad underneath the desk. I mean, we were, we were ecstatic. And I I was like, coach, you got to repeat that. You know, you got, you got to repeat that for me. And he said, you got a full ride scholarship to UTSA if you want it. I said, well, coach, I'm going to call the people that are close to me. And I did. And then I committed that same day and showed up and two left guard. And then the next day I was one center and started 46 consecutive games, made the Remington trophy watch list, was a William B. Campbell trophy finalist, all academic um, conference USA. I mean, just the list goes on luckily and thank God it does. Um, And that's just a tribute to making a phone call from the toilet. I mean, I, I just could, I couldn't believe it. Like all that stuff. And that's, that's kind of the little quirky story that nobody hears that, you know, these, these young people need to understand all it takes is one. Yes. You know, all it takes is one. Yes. For you to, to reach your dreams. And if you quit or you, you know, turn it down too soon, you don't know how far you've gone until you reach it. You know, like you could go so far. And what if I hadn't have made that phone call? Would I be talking to y'all today? Maybe not. You know, so you don't know how close you are. Just keep going. You know, you could be you could be going so far and opening all these doors and crawling through tunnels and all this stuff. I mean, what if you turned back and it was the next door that you opened? You know what I mean? Like, what if yep. you what, you come so far, you work so hard, and you can't see it, but it's right around the corner. But instead, you turn back and you never see it. You know, so young people that are listening, young players, young coaches. I mean, that that light that you see in your dreams it could be one step away just keep going keep going and so that that's kind of what it taught me and I've, I've held on to that my whole career but anyway playing days are over um I was beat up guys I mean I had coach real quick did you bulging. play was it was your quarterback uh Souza yeah so it was Eric Souza the first three years and Tucker Carter the last year and Tucker Carter was a product of Allen uh, so we kind of grew up knew and knowing about each other, um, and, and I, I, I was able to play with him my senior year. I played against you your junior and senior year. I played at uh, University of Houston. Okay, yeah. So y'all came down to the dome and came down and, and and squeaked one out, and then you guys came and uh, basically got our coach fired the next year. Wow, man. <laughs> so yeah. So what position did you play? I played uh, right tackle. That uh, left tackle my junior year. Played right guard my senior year, so I, yeah. So y'all came down and we hung in there for a half, and then y'all blew it open. I wouldn't say y'all squeaked out of the dome with a well, I mean, you, It was like fifty-two guys, to thirty. Like, well, you guys were winning through three quarters. It was tight through three quarters, uh, and then okay. the end score I think was just bad because we blocked a field goal late and ran it back. Yep, for you blocked a field goal, ran it back, and then we threw a pick six, and y'all ran it back in the fourth. <laughs> and then Sosa and came then, over and was our uh, was a G. That's right. And we got because beat by you guys. Bush. Yeah, yeah, with Bush. So we got beat by you guys. And then me and uh, my buddy always gave him crap and said he was uh, selling our secrets. That's hilarious, man, because <laughs> we came into that stadium. They were still painting that stadium the day before. Yeah. So when we come in and do a little walkthrough, they were still painting the stadium. The sign wasn't even on the side of the, the building. And we were like, are we going to play here? I mean, we had no idea. You know, they're painting the locker room. We're like, man, we're going to get, you know, high on these fumes. Like, what are we doing? And, 
And then, I don't know if you remember, but they're doing the fireworks show at the very end playing We Are the Champions. No, and, I don't remember that. Yes. So they're playing fireworks. They're like, they had promised the fans fireworks. They're playing fireworks at the end. And over the loudspeakers, we are the champions. And we oh, walked out of there 27 to 7 victory. But that's, that's, good. That's, that's good times. I actually worked with <laughs> Travis Bush my second year of coaching at Seguin High School because he came back. He wow. had a little stint as a, as a QC with the Bills. And then he came back. His dad's big time head coach was at San Marcos and uh, Gregory Portland. And he came back and wanted to kind of get into the family business. He's still at Seguin. He's doing a hell of a job there. I was able to to make a, you know, a, um, a, a stop there. My second year of coaching, he's doing a heck of a job, man. And he, he has the same focus he had all the way through his, all the way through his career. But, um, yeah, you guys had the cool Chrome face mask when you came and beat us. They were like multicolored yeah, cool face yep, masks. Yep. Yeah, I, I, we, yeah were- we had the, the matte white helmets and the, uh, the orange Chrome face mask. And I don't even know if we broke those out ever again. I think we just, <laughs> I think we, I think we sold them in an auction to make sure that we could keep our budget alive. Make sure I mean, I, I don't remember exactly, but no, those, those were cool, man. And they left all that orange all over the front of y'all's all over yeah. the front of y'all's time. I don't remember what y'all were wearing that game, but um, those were cool. Yeah. We, we got hyped about that. <laughs> it is, it's crazy. But, uh, we, I, uh, I had no idea, but as soon as you started talking, I'm like UTSA's first years, it made me start thinking of Sosa yeah. came over and, and uh, kind of a yeah. kind of a small world. Yeah. So that that reporter that I was telling you about from USA Today was following us around, following me around that whole week leading up to the Houston game. And I remember I got in some hot water because after we won and we were loading the bus, he can't. He came up to me and goes, "You know, Nate, how do you feel?" And I said, "Man, wins like that makes all the BS worth it." And of course, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I didn't. You know. I didn't do the acronym like I just did. I just pretty much spat it right into his little handheld device. And I remember having a, having a meeting with the AD after that. And that's not how we represent the program. And yes, yes, ma'am. You know, yes, ma'am. Um, but, you know, he caught me. He caught me at a good time. He that's me exactly at a good time. right. You're an offensive lineman. What's he expect after a big game? That's right. I mean, I don't even know if I was wearing a shirt on the bus. I mean, it was a pretty raw interview. Um, no, we had, we had a good time there at UTSA and starting that thing up and seeing where it came to seeing how we left it. And, and uh, yeah, but that was kind of the playing days, the glory days. And you know, I thought the transition to coaching was going to be easy because of the level I'd played at. Mm-hmm. And I ended up, I ended up finding out that that is pretty much the opposite. You know, it, you, you have a really difficult time uh, transitioning from what you go through as a player to what you have to do as a coach. And then being able to communicate with the other coaches and, and teach what you have been through. You know, it's completely different. You go from being a student to a teacher um, and, you know, it's, it's complete 180 from playing. But in that area, I didn't realize how hard it was going to be to get my foot in the door. You know, in the state of Texas, you've got to be a teacher, certified mm-hmm. teacher to be a coach. Yep. And so I went through the entire process of becoming certified and didn't realize until the very end that I'm not going to get hired as a PE teacher, you know, because those are going to go to the old salty dogs. I mean, those are going to go to the coordinators. Coordinators. Those are going to go to the guys who have earned their stripes and have been with the same program for years and years and years. And, and I didn't realize that. And so it got down to the nitty gritty. I'm, you know, I proposed to my wife the year before my final season of playing and I was like yeah we're going to get a job and we're going to get paid like you know pretty well and I'm going to be able to support you and and then it gets to the end and it's like Nate we'd love to hire you you know you played for UTSA we're sure you got experience but you're a PE teacher bud like we can't do anything with that (laughs) and at the time the the testing service didn't allow you to take another test until you had graduated so I was going to go through the 2015 spring and graduate and then have to try to scramble for a job and take the test and pass another teaching field test in the summer. And I wasn't comfortable with that. So I took the first opportunity that was offered to me. I'm so glad I did. And I started out in the inner city of San Antonio, um, 5A football in the inner city of San Antonio at a program that had won two games the last four or five years. It was a tough place to start 
I'm so glad I started there though. You know, it, it took me out of my comfort zone. Um, I was the head offensive line coach there, which was great. I was able to teach PE, which was a steal. Um, but the tradition of the program was obviously not there. The support for the program from the community was not there. Um, but the kids were there. And these kids, guys, that came from homes with no front door, they came from homes with no parents. I mean, you talk about living in a single family or a single parent household. These kids had no parents at home. I mean, they were taking care of their brothers. They were taking care of their sisters, all in the absence of parents. They were living in houses that had no front doors, no windows. I mean, and you think I'm exaggerating. I'm absolutely not. It was in the poorest district or the lowest income district in the state of Texas. And that's where I got my start. And it taught me how to relate to everybody, everybody, and how to get the most out of anybody and how to deal with, you know, young people who had just lost their brother to some sort of gang violence or to, you know, drugs or anything, or their best friend had just gotten shot or their best friend had just overdosed. I mean, those are things that not everybody is faced with. And to be in a place of authority as a coach and to be in a place of mentorship as a coach is, and to get my start there and having no experience, it was such a great place to get started. And I'd never take it back. I'd never change it for anything. I'm so glad I started there. And guys, what is crazy about it is the administration did not like me at all. Um, you know, I don't know, I don't know what it was. Um, and I'm not going to speculate. Um, but they didn't like me at all, you know, and I was actually demoted in the spring to a junior high position. And I, no one knows this. Like, this is the first time I've ever talked about this to, to a, a podcast or anything like that. I was demoted to a middle school PE coach and teacher. And I had actually replaced a coach who was accused of going into um, a female locker room and just, I don't know the whole story, but just, I, it was a bad situation to step into. <laughs> yeah. And you want to, you want to talk about your first year of teaching and coaching and you think you've got it made and you think you're on the right track and then you get demoted to a middle school position and you're in a, a place where you're replacing a male teacher that had gotten in trouble with another male teacher and coach. And it was, it was rough guys. I mean, it was, those kids definitely, definitely knew that, that uh, the rumors were flying with the other teacher. And obviously I won't get into details because I don't know all the details sure. and it's not my place to get into that, but it was tough. And so, you know, there's times at night where I'm sitting here thinking, is this, have I got, have I gotten myself into the right profession? You know, is this what I really want to do? And then Travis Bush calls me and he's like, man, I'm coming back to Texas. I need you on my staff. And I was like, are you kidding me, man? I absolutely would love to. He goes, it's not going to be O-line. It's going to be tight ends and assistant O-line if you're okay with that. And I was like, man, you know, when can I start? You know, I started taking days off from my other districts so I could go and, and dive into the culture of Seguin and try to get that place going and ended up jumping on there obviously full time in the summer and was a tight ends coach and assistant offensive line coach and got hooked up with a great staff. I mean, he put together a great staff and he put together guys who took mentorship of young coaches very, very seriously. I think that's something that young coaches and old coaches need to hear mm -hmm. alike is if you're a young coach, and there is nobody on your staff who cares about your development, no matter how good that position is in your mind, it may be time for you to find something else. It may be time for you to find a staff that cares about your development and don't be comfortable with your title. Be comfortable with the fact that you're going to be in the right spot, doing the right things with the right people and that the people around you care about teaching you what it means to be a coach. That's for all the young coaches out there. Don't chase the title, chase the experience, chase the mentorship and, and learn from these coaches who have been there before and want to take you under their wing. Don't shun them. Don't push them away. You listen and you learn and you do what they ask you to do. You do the laundry, you know, you do the jockstrap, you do all those things that people talk about and you learn from these guys who have way more experience than you and you put your ego aside and you learn. If you are an older coach with experience, please, please 
Find a young coach on your staff and mentor him. Take him under your wing and show him what it means to be a coach. Do not get wrapped up in your own self. Like a young coach may be wrapped up in his ego, and I'm a coach at a 6A, or I'm a coach at a 5A, or I'm a coach at a really successful program. An older coach may be wrapped up in the fact that he has the experience. Maybe his job is not threatened. Maybe he's been there for a long time. Maybe he knows the ways to, to go, and he doesn't want to get wrapped up with the young pups, and he doesn't want to do all that stuff. I'm, I'm challenging you to please take a young coach under your wing and mentor him because when you leave the profession, these are the coaches that are going to be left in the profession. You know, who do you want to leave this profession to that you've put so much time and effort into? Hopefully, you'd want to leave it with someone that you've mentored and shown the way, you know. And I had those people at Seguin and, and the guys named John Luke, who is now the offensive line coach at Hutto, a very successful program in Central Texas. He took me under his wing. And he showed me exactly what it meant to be an offensive line coach. He showed me exactly what it meant to be a colleague. He showed me exactly what it meant to be a young coach. And he was a guy that had been there before. He'd been a GA at Baylor. He'd been at successful programs. He'd been at unsuccessful programs. He had been in coordinator positions. He was the offensive line coach, offensive coordinator at Seguin. And he knows it because he's a reference on anything I do that he is my mentor. He took me under his wing and he showed me the way. And there's got to be more coaches out there that do that. And I think it's important for young coaches and coaches with more experience to hear that message. Do you all not agree? It de it, it's definitely true. I, I've yet to get into that next. And that's kind of the question I was going to ask you being, uh, I guess, probably about the same age, me and you. Have you been able to transition into that at all? I mean, have you been around any 21-year-old coaches coming in? Because I've done a, a horrible job at first and now a much better job of being the younger, uh, very prideful coach that now is, is trying to learn as much as he can from everybody else. But eventually, like you said, it's going to be a switch. And uh, now I'm not the youngest coach on staff. Uh, not to say that it's my chance yet, but uh, have you had that opportunity yet for, for some young kids to come in, or young coaches to come in, uh, or, or uh, are you still only on the being mentored side? Well, I'd like to think it's both. You know, I think that that's, that's a healthy place to be is where you can look at a mentor and then you can hopefully, you know, impress some of that knowledge onto a, a younger coach. I actually think that I did have that experience at Seguin when, I was placed with a student teacher who was so eager to get into coaching. His name is Jake Tingle, and he was a young – he was actually a football player at Texas Lutheran University in Seguin, and he had been assigned to me. I, I was in my second year of teaching. I was in my first year as a classroom teacher teaching <laughs> economics to seniors, and they assigned him to me. And I was like, guys, like I, I appreciate the – I appreciate the honor of having a student teacher, but like guys, y'all know I'm in my, my second year of teaching and my first is a classroom teacher. And they were like, yes, you're doing a great job. You'll be great for him. And I was like, <laughs> okay. I mean, so right. it was pretty much a baby raising a baby, you know, and he shows up the first day, super eager. And man, he just took to everything I was saying. He's now, he was actually a college coach before I was a college coach. I mean, he, he is now a full-time position coach at Texas Lutheran University, and he's doing a heck of a job. We stay in touch all the time. I still chew his ear off about certain things, and he still, you know, bounces some things off me. But, you know, I, I would like to think that that's that, – that he would consider me a mentor, you know. And, and I took him in in my classroom, and he just followed me around to football. He followed me around to track and field, which was my second sport. And he did a heck of a job for us at Seguin. I was the equipment manager at Seguin. I mean, the, the equipment manager and he was not <laughs> getting paid a dime. I, of course you have to be angry as an equipment manager. That's the only rule. One rule, keep the clothes clean and get really, really angry when <laughs> someone loses their mouthpiece. Um, and, and so he actually just volunteered all of his time to come and help me in the equipment room, which as anyone knows is a huge undertaking if you do it alone. And, he he just no no complaints he showed up at 5 a.m and he stayed till whenever i left i mean he was a true 
apprentice, I guess you could say. Um, and I really hope I was a mentor to him. I know all the coaches there were mentors to him, and now he's a full-time um, football coach, you know, at a at a really competitive Division three school there in Texas. So he's killing it, um, and he's doing a heck of a job. And um, so I was at Seguin, and that was a 45-minute commute from my wife and a young wife and a wife that was still getting used to the rigors of coaching and, and the time restraint. So that was a 45 minute there and a 45 minute back to where we lived in San Antonio. Dang. And, you know, it was tough. Like it was obviously hours as a coach in general are tough, but when you tack on two extra hours for commuting, I mean, that's yeah, even, that's yeah. even tougher. I mean, there were times where I was doing the laundry after a game and didn't feel aware or awake enough to be able to make the trip back to San Antonio. So I just spent the night at the facility, you know, and I know a lot of coaches do that all across the country, but, um, a lot of those coaches are single, you know, I was married and young and, and trying to support my wife. And anyway, it was tough. And a job had opened up at a big time six day school there in San Antonio, known as San Antonio Reagan. And I couldn't believe that I got the opportunity to interview for that job. You know, being a, a five, a, uh, assistant O-line coach and a five, a tight ends coach and, and not really having that room to myself. I didn't realize I'd get the opportunity to interview. And I did get the opportunity to interview and luckily it, uh, it went really well. And I took over there and man, what a program, you know, they do a great job. Lyndon Hamilton's the head coach, of San Antonio Reagan. He does a heck of a job in the community. Uh, he does a heck of a job putting his heart on his sleeve for those kids and for that whole entire school and community. And I was so lucky to be a part of that program for uh, the year that I was a part of it. And we had a really good run. Uh, we went two rounds deep in the playoffs um, which, you know, we still feel was underperforming, but we had a great run with great kids and a, and a really good program and a really great school. Um, I had a great time there, man. And I had it, I had it made. I mean, I was teaching three classes a day. Um, I was all front loaded in the morning. So I had one, two, three, we're all teaching. And then my other, um, four or five periods were conference and lunch and football and football. I mean, it was, it was, the schedule that any coach that's listening to this right now would probably want to come and beat my tail for leaving. Um, because it's when you're in Texas and you get a schedule like that, you hold on to it till you retire. Yeah. Uh, and they, they really set me up well there. And, you know, I was just, as you can imagine, I was being tugged in, in a lot of different directions. Um, you know, I had, I had, I guess I'd made a name for myself in the area for coaching offensive line. Um, and, it kind of spilled over to other references reaching out to me and, and saying, look, man, if you want to do this college deal, you got to do it now while you're young, while you've got no kids. Um, or you got to wait till you're an established head coach in Texas high school football and you have state championship after state championship after state championship. And then you can go and, 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 and join the college ranks and, I said, well, guys, I don't know. I mean, I've got such a great job, great paying job, great area. Uh, I don't know if I can just uproot my family and go. They said, look, go to the convention in Charlotte and meet with some of our guys and guys that they knew. And my references that were kind of talking me into this were guys that I had played for at UTSA. And they said, go, just go, just go. So I bought a plane ticket. I missed a couple of JV soccer games. I was the JV soccer coach at Reagan High School. I missed a couple of my JV soccer games, um, went to the, uh, the convention and you want to hear another crazy story about, about how I got this job really was all the coaches that were kind of referring me to go, you know, recommended me to go to the convention. They were calling all their, all their contacts in the division one level. And one of the coaches by the name of Eric Roark, he was the defensive line coach at UTSA while I was playing. He said, I know Coach Cut really, really well at Duke University. I'm going to give him a call, and I'm going to let him know that you're coming up there to the convention. If you all can connect, that'd be great. And I said, wow, ACC football. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, that'd be, that'd be a pipe dream for me. And so I go up there, and I'm actually, guys, I'm actually setting up a meeting with another coach. I'm setting up a meeting with a, uh, another coach in Division One and another conference uh, not a, not a power five conference. And, and, and when I go up to meet him, he's in the hallway talking with one of his colleagues or one of his friends. And 
He goes, Nate, I'm so glad you came to meet with me. I'll be right with you. Will you just wait over there for a minute? And I go, yes, no sir. Way. So I go, so I go wait up against a wall and I just put my back on the wall and I'm just scrolling through social media, just kind of going through emails, just whatever, whatever, whatever. And I turn to my left and leaning up on the wall is David Cutcliffe. <laughs> and I was so kind of taken aback that I called him David Cutliffe, which is completely <laughs> wrong and against everything. And I was like, oh, Coach Cutliffe, how are you? And he was so professional, obviously. And he goes, Nate, Eric Roar told me about you. And he gave me his cell phone number. And this is when he was going to do the coaches uh, section of the national championship. This was back a couple of years back, a couple of conventions back. And, and uh, he goes, here's my cell phone. I want you to, you know, keep me updated on what you're doing. We may have a position for you and just keep me updated. And it was a two minute interaction. And I had stumbled over my words a little bit. I'd called him the wrong name, which I was ticking myself for. I mean, that did is you realize so unprofessional. It as soon as you said it, or did he? Did he oh, uh, tell you? No. As soon as I said it, I knew it. But it was just too late to go back and go. I know what your name is, sir. You know, it was just too. It was just too late. You know, you get that one elevator interview, and that was it. And so he leaves, and I'm sitting there with his phone number. I meet with the other coach. Um, and that went, you know, that went well, but I was super excited about being in the power five and, you know, a few weeks get along and I, I text with him, coach cut. He's still saying, you know, we, we may have some. And then sure enough, he calls me and, and we FaceTime and he goes, Nate, if you want to join the Duke gang family, you know, come join the Duke gang family as offensive line graduate assistant. And I was, I, I think I was out the door before that conversation ended. I mean, I left Sam, my <laughs> wife in San Antonio. I put in my two weeks at, at Reagan, which was, they were so great about it. The administration was so great about it. And I went up there to, to Duke University about a year ago today, really, um, and enrolled in the Duke Divinity Program. And uh, the master's program there at Duke and, and started coaching division one power five football as a graduate assistant. And that's where I am. And, you know, going back to, am I mentoring anybody here at, at Duke? Well, I'm 27 years old. I am on the, the, the end spectrum of being a graduate assistant, being seven years removed from playing, you know, I'm kind right. of on the, the older side of being a GA Mm -hmm. There are some younger guys, all the GAs, most of them are younger than me. You know, we've got a couple interns that are older than me, but we've got some, some really young GAs. And I hope that they look to me in a mentorship role. You know, I'm still trying to learn as much as I can. And, and that takes a lot of my time to keep up with what we're doing on a daily basis. But I hope that they look at me and say, you know, he's a little bit older than I am. Uh, you know, I got my start later than they did. And so I'm hoping that they look at me and go, you know, I, I really like the way that he handles himself. Um, I like what he does. I, I hope so. I mean, I certainly like what they're doing and they're six years younger than me, you know. So um, I think it goes both ways. I think you've got to have mentors and I think you've got to try to do whatever you can to put yourself in a, in a place of mentorship. But that's where I am. And I mean, guys, four years ago, I was at a middle school where I didn't know if there was a way out. I mean, I, I just, I didn't know. And now I'm sitting here talking to y'all very lucky to be here with you today. And, and I'm at, I'm in the power five as a GA. I'm so thankful. At no point in time do I want anybody to think that I'm anything but thankful. And it just goes to show that if you keep your head down and you work really, really hard, you know, keep your head down, keep your feet moving and work really hard and try to outwork everybody around you and know that it may be that next door that you open. It may be that next window that you open, that next tunnel that you crawl through. I mean, it may be dark, but just keep moving forward that you can do whatever you want to do. I mean, young coaches, I had no last name that mirrored up with anything in the coaching bloodline at all. You know, my dad had played at TCU, but he did not get into coaching. I mean, that was a long time removed. You know, I, I have right. no siblings in coaching. I have no siblings, period. You know, I, my, my family was not a football family. My 
my family's like pharmacists and, and attorneys and consultants and I not, nothing <laughs> screamed football. I mean, it literally was from the inner city and getting demoted to just working and knowing that I had a vision and that vision was to just keep learning and keep growing as a coach. And I'm here. I mean, if anybody's listening to this and doesn't think it's possible, then you're a fool. I mean, you're, you're fooling yourself. Keep marching, keep going through those doors and, and find a way to get to where you want to be. And man, if I, if I can do it, you can do it. I mean, <laughs> I, I, that's it. I mean, I know it's said so many times, but guys, I had no connection. No connections. I mean, I ran into my employer against a wall at a convention center. I mean, <laughs> it, 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 it can be anywhere at any time. You've got to be ready for the opportunity. You know, you've got to prepare yourself for the opportunity, but that's where I'm at. I'm so, I'm so lucky to be here. I'm lucky to be on the, on the podcast with y'all. And I mean, that's, that's kind of my advice for young coaches, you know, just keep marching, man. Yeah, that's an, an awesome story. And, and Coach Walls kind of was in the same situation as far as being a, an old head at GA. I think he was maybe a little bit older, but he'd already had a mm -hmm. successful high school. Uh, uh, you know, he'd, could, Walls, were you a state champion yet? No, nope, I was a state, state runner up at Jenks. And then when I went to Tulsa, I was, I was 32 years old. And I was actually okay. analyst off the field, but doing kind of the same deal, you know. And you talked about mentoring guys. That that was that was what we did. We uh, we ended up getting a house together, and you know the the full time guys generally weren't going to have much time for you know other than a, a couple of quick chalk talks here and there, and maybe they're in watching film with you. But I, I kind of right. take on the role of you know like you'd said you know, those guys had questions it's like all right let's sit down let's clinic. So what do you right. want to talk about? What do you guys want to learn? Right? Hey, throw Texas A and M film in and, and let's break it down. And let absolutely see what they do. So I mean, it was, it was awesome. We set up, we set up the projector in a in the the living room of our house, and we you know, we had a pool of in the back, drink a few beers, and hang out in the pool, and then we'd be back inside, you know, doing some some work on the board. So I mean, it, it brought me back, man. I, I couldn't agree more with the whole the whole mentor deal. You know, I, I was lucky enough to yeah. have a couple of those guys and that was that was like number one on on their kind of list was yeah we're going to develop our kids but I'm also going to develop our coaches so I was lucky to be in those spots and now like you said coach being able to pay that forward I was able to do kind of the same role with with those GAs and, and with a guy like coach Harper so I, I absolutely love that. and that's that's the only way that we're going to grow the game and quite honestly that's why we started run the power <laughs> gives us another avenue to spread the wealth and share some things that we've been able to learn and, and what coaches like yourself have to offer. And, and we get that feedback from coaches all the time. Hey coach, thanks, man. I appreciate you basically giving me a clinic two times a week. It's awesome. No doubt, man. No doubt. I love what you said too about young coaches, mentoring young coaches and, and throwing on tape from other schools. I mean, at Duke, we do that with our young coaches. I mean, we clinic each other after hours twice a week. You know, we rotate a young coach talking about anything they want to talk about. And when the full-timers leave, we stay and we throw on a little clinic and we've got the guys taking notes. I mean, right. and it's, it's full-time clinic talk, you know, like, like you would be presenting a clinic at one of these big-time clinics and you're presenting to five or six young coaches. And we do that every week. I mean, young coaches can develop young coaches. They just got to have the initiative to do so, you know. Yeah. Pra practicing the job interview, man. That's that's absolutely. That's, that's like you said. You know, you have that one opportunity, Coach Cutliff, as you call them. You up against the wall. I, I got to be ready to roll, oh, man. You know, but I mean, that's it's right. the same thing. I, I get that one interview. You get one shot. You know, you got to absolutely be able to make that shot, man. Coach, I wanted to ask you, um, and I, I'm a huge fan of what you do on social media, uh, especially sure. with with the clips, uh, but you're always talking about the O-line mentality, you know, whether right. it's, you know, not wearing sleeves, you know, it's, it's <laughs> the, you know, being, being the ugly guys, but at the same time, we're the guys that make everything go and everything that you preach is nasty. And I think sometimes right. there's some coaches that are maybe, maybe afraid to use some of those words because of yeah. you know, some of the, the, the connotations in this day and age. But in yeah. my mind, and I'm pretty sure in your mind, if you don't have that mentality to be a finisher and to be nasty, you're probably not going to maximize your potential. Absolutely. Um, here's how I see it. 
if you're not preaching nasty and you're not preaching finish and you're not cultivating the mentality of your offensive line, I don't want to step on your toes or anybody's toes that's listening. You're doing it wrong. We are the one position on the field that all we have, all we have is our mentality. And if we don't show that, what other stat do we have? Your resume is your mentality as an offensive lineman. When they turn on the film and they being the opponent or the opponent's coaches, when they turn on the film, they better be worried about you as an offensive lineman. And the only way that you do that is you prove your mentality through your film resume. So I preach nasty. I preach finish. I preach all those things that go into being an offensive lineman because that's the only way, in my opinion, to do it and to cultivate the mentality that it takes to be successful at the position. And, I, yeah, I say a lot of stuff on Twitter. But everything that I say has a purpose on Twitter. And everything that I say has a purpose for young people to see the mentality that it takes to be a successful offensive lineman and to develop that within their own skill set. And coaches that, that uh, you know, follow me on Twitter, they see a lot of things. And that's the beauty about coaching. You may not agree with everything that I say, um, but you know, acknowledging the fact that our position group is different than any position group on the field, uh, you have to acknowledge that and you have to preach that and you have to teach that. And yeah, I understand where some people may think that it's a little edgy to say some of the things that I say or to encourage some of the things that I encourage, but it's because I believe in it so firmly and I believe in it so strongly that we are the only position group left that relies upon being nasty for our own benefit. And we should love that. I mean, imagine the things that we do on the field. Imagine the things that we do on the field. If you go to the local grocery grocery store and do those same things, you may never see the light of day again in your life. And (laughs) we we should be celebrating those things. And we get the opportunity to do those things and completely change our mentality when we step on the striped field. We should love that. As coaches, as players, we should encourage that. And doing it within, obviously, the limits of the game and doing it cleanly, but doing it with mentality and doing it with nasty. So, yeah, I mean, walking around the office, I'm only referred to as nasty. That's that's pretty much what the full-timers call me. That's pretty much what all the young coaches call me. Um, that's what I was called when I was playing. Um, it's just, you know, nasty hey nasty i need this or not i mean i love that you know like some people would be like oh why why are you calling me nasty you know as an offensive lineman i take pride in that you know if that if that's the mentality that i'm giving and that's the aura that i'm preaching to these kids and it shows up on the tape in the right ways heck yeah man that's this game that's the beauty of this game that's the beauty of being an offensive lineman man you get to go out there and you get to be nasty you get to do things that other people would never dream about doing and you should love that. You should take pride in that. You should wear that, you know, and that's, I, I come at it with so much passion because I love it. I lived it. I'll never live that again. I'll never be able to put my hand in the grass again in an organized setting, but man, I can impress that upon young people and get them to do those things. Then man, the, the position group and what it means to be an offensive lineman is still going to be alive. That's the legacy is to be nasty and to do this position justice. Well, and, and I've always, you know, kind of thought that uh, the, the, the smaller guys, the guys with the chip on their shoulder that had to prove uh, that they were big enough to play, uh, they, those are the guys normally that, that part of their game was being extremely physical. Even if every offensive lineman's physical, uh, I've always, at least at, at the University of Houston, our, our guys that were shorter – they were always the ones that were any good were always, you know, very, very physical um, and, and nasty. And and the other thing is that I've always thought about guys that were uh, maybe limited uh, athletically compared to some of the freaks in Division One football uh, on the offensive line is that, uh, at least in my opinion, in my case, is like, to me, I think it makes you such a better football coach uh, because – all through, you know, the guys that I know and, and myself, all through my career playing football, it was like 
I'm trying to find every little possible edge I can find. If that's being Absolutely. a little bit more nasty or if that's, you know, what am I going to do with my knee if it's outside zone because I'm not fast enough to be like the, the freak athletes, but I got to make up a half of a step or, or whatever yep. that was. I think that that's helped me with coaching because my whole career I'm, I'm trying to find little tricks, little cheat codes uh, so I can catch up with some of these guys that are, that are um, you know, athletically extremely gifted. Have you kind of noticed oh, yeah. that in your coaching career as well, uh, you know, kind of stealing from some of your playing days of, of having to not cheat illegally, but cheat the offensive line and, and try to get every little yeah. step and every little thing as perfect as possible? Yeah, because I had to do it. I had to find those cheat codes. You know, I had to, I had to live it. So I think it made me a better coach because I was able to know those cheat codes and especially with the undersized guys and to get those guys to, to do exactly kind of what, what I got away with, I guess you could say, and at the highest level of this sport, uh, amateur sport. And, you know, I'm able to kind of pass that advice down in those little cheat codes to the guys that are now at the Power 5 level that don't really have the same limitations that I did. So if it works for guys who are undersized, it definitely works for guys that already have those God-given abilities right. to be able to to be in the Power Five. And yes. when I was playing, it was not that I was going to outdo anybody athletically. I was not going to outdo anybody with strength. But I my mentality was by the fourth quarter, they were going to feel it. You know, they were going to know that they had been in, in a fight. You know, when when they released my height and weight on the roster, I fully expect people to look at it and be like, I got this game in the bag. This guy's not going to be able to hold my jock strap and all that stuff. By the end of the fourth quarter, it was my mentality to have them completely reverse their way of thinking. And, you know, whether that meant that I needed to cut on outside zone and scramble instead of think about anything about getting my hat placement or my, my knee placement outside of his framework, or if I needed to take a set in the wall on a pass pro and just cut the guy. I did. When, when I played, when I played Oklahoma state and, and, you know, it's, it shows on the tape, I was way outmatched physically and athletically. But when I took a set on some of those guys, all I did was I flashed my hands and cut. And I mean, it was just as effective and it really, in my opinion, slowed them down to an extent to where I could finally be in the game and play. No doubt. You know, because a lot of these guys didn't know if I was going to cut them on a run play or an outside zone play or a stretch sure. play or a, or a sweep play, or even if I was going to cut them on your typical man slide pass, bro. They had no idea. And so it was my mentality to completely change the way that somebody thinks about the undersized athlete or the uh, less athletic athlete. And now that I'm in a place where we don't really have those guys, it makes coaching so much easier. And it, it, it almost, they light up when they hear of a little cheat code. They're like, man, I've never had to do that. And I go, I know, jerk, you know, because you weren't like me. Yeah. You know, you didn't have to do that because you're stronger than me. You're more athletic than me. But when, they, when they're able to put that in their toolbox and use it against other guys that maybe we are outmatched, then, you know, I love seeing it, it help their game. And that's why I got into it in the first place, to help young people grow. Well, flipping that, you said, uh, obviously, you know, you're always kind of curious. Well, I wonder what the defense is saying about me. So, so when you were looking at defenders, because I've heard it kind of different ways, when you were looking at a defense, we used to have a center that he was a small guy that had to work really, really hard to play, and, and he did, and he was tough and mean and physical. And his, he always hated when he'd see short defensive linemen. You know, he would always tell me, hey, if they're short and uh, not very athletic looking, that means they must be dogs. He's like, if I go against a six-five guy playing at at uh, Cincinnati, okay, then he's probably not all that good. He's at Cincinnati. He's not at OU. But if I'm going against a, right. a five-ten defensive tackle playing at you know wherever at Cincinnati, then he must be a he must be a fighter. He must be a dog. He must be something to be able to make it. What 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 did you kind of look at when you were getting that first uh, piece of paper against the team, or do you remember? Well, oh, I, I completely remember. I mean, it's still ingrained in my DNA. You know, the, the first question I got to ask is, has anybody listening to this podcast been popped underneath the chin so hard that your chin starts bleeding? Then you're going to understand what it means to go up someone that has leverage just by birth. You know, leverage by height, being shorter than you, stockier than you, 
you get popped up underneath the chin, you never want that feeling ever again. <laughs> you know, when you got to get stitches in your chin, I've felt that before. But when I, when I looked at guys, I was, you know, people may be shocked by this. If you were, like you said, if you were big and strong and you were just a huge person, that did not worry me in the slightest. It was the defensive linemen who reminded me of linebackers or really stocky, like tight end looking guys. Those are the guys I worried about. I didn't worry about the big 300 pounders. I, I had no worry in the world about those guys. I worried about the guys that were in the 240 range, maybe tall, lanky, long arms, long legs, and, and you know, really quick off the – I mean, those are the guys that I lost sleep about. I didn't lose sleep about the 6'5", 340-pound guy because I knew I could cut him on any play I wanted to. It was the guy that I knew that if I did try to cut him, he may jump over me, he may dodge me, he may get around me. You know, if I did try to stay high on a slide protection, he may – I may not even make contact with my hands. I mean, those are the guys that I lost sleep about, not the big old guys, and especially coming from a guy who was undersized and having to do all the cheat codes in the book to just survive at that level. If you were bigger than me, good. I'm glad you're bigger than me because, you know, you're probably going to be a little bit slower than me. You may be a little bit sloppier than me. But if you were around my size, linebacker-like, maybe taller than me but lankier than me, you had my attention. That's classic, man. Well, Coach, I know we're kind of coming up on an hour, and it's been an absolute blast having you on. We could probably, you know, rock and roll here for uh, – I could probably sit here and talk to you for about three hours, you know, probably just telling old – No old, doubt. Old convention stories and, and old playing day stories and GA <laughs> stories. But, you know, what, what's kind of your favorite thing now about being, you know, at the, at the D1 level, kind of going from, from high school – I know I did it for, for my reasons was to kind of learn a little bit more ball, especially along the offensive line. Uh, what, what's kind of been, you know, your end game goal or, or, you know, what are you trying to kind of get rolling as far as, you know, where you're at at Duke? I know you're happy there now, but obviously, you know, you, you have aspirations of, of moving up in the world. Sure. I mean, wherever I can be to help young people grow and develop and to have young people look at their coaches like I looked at my coaches when I was growing up, that's where I want to be. Mm-hmm. Where can I be and make the most impact on young people and still be around those young people and that game that it still means something to them aside from maybe money or glory? That's where I want to be. Right now, being a GA at Duke is absolutely great because I get to spend a lot of time with our young men at a different level than the high school level. You know, these guys are about to be full-grown adult men. And so it allows me to still develop young people and to have young people look at me in a mentorship role, just as we were talking about with young coaches and older coaches. So I can develop and, and mentor young people to be better citizens. And I love that. And I love that as a high school coach. And I love that as a GA. You know, my end game, I mean, guys, I went from middle school to here in four years. Like, yeah, I've, I've done all that and done the, the, the ladder and climb. But if it doesn't mean bettering young people in their spiritual, physical, mental, emotional journey, I don't want any part of it. That's right. And right now I'm at, a, I'm at a great spot doing what I love to do. But I don't know where this career is going to take me. And I'm too young to know what I don't know. And I'm excited to see where it takes me. And I'm excited because I know that that's going to be at a spot that values the futures and the development and the growth of young people. That's where I'm at. Well, Coach, kind of the last question I like to ask everybody and and excited to hear it from you, but uh, when you're watching another team's offensive line, uh, what's some things they'd be doing that would make you think highly of their offensive line coach? The way they finish. Hands down, the way they finish a play. Because – Sometimes that comes from the kid. Most of the times that comes from coaching. And you can develop a finish and you can develop an attitude. It's got to be the way that they finish. I mean, of course, you're going to look at the X's and O's and, and you may have some questions about some of the stuff they do or the technique they do. But at the end of the day, offensive line play is offensive line play. It all comes down to displacement and, and what you do up front and, and how you open up those holes and how you displace people and all that kind of stuff and protecting the quarterback. We all get it. We could talk about X's and O's for years and years and years. but what I look for is the mentality of the offensive line as a unit. And if those guys are finishing, if those guys are, 
putting syrup on their pancakes, so to speak. If they're mowing their own lawn and helping out another guy mow his lawn and just completely demoralizing the defensive line, I know they've got a hell of an offensive line coach across from them, teaching them exactly what they need to know and developing that mentality. So I look at how they work together as a unit when it comes to their mentality, how they finish and how they play throughout the course of a game with their finish and their mentality and their effort. And I know how they're being coached by seeing those things. Coach Matt's been a blast. I uh, appreciate you taking some time out of your spring break. We know uh, you're putting in the long hours where you're at, and it's got to feel good to be home and, and take some time off. But at the same time, it, it's cool that you take some time to, to talk some ball with us. And I think the message that you portray in, in many, many different arenas uh, of coaching is is something that a lot of guys can can probably learn a lot from and, and is definitely an inspiration for a lot of the young coaches out there. So appreciate it again, Coach. Absolutely, man. And like I said earlier, keep your head down, keep your feet moving, but you've got to look up and appreciate being you from time to time. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank all of our sponsors. You guys make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.